0: All right, good morning, Mercy Hill, and uh, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Day to you. My name is Nick, and uh, I'm going to be getting us into God's Word shortly. Uh, But for those of you that are tuning in with us uh, for the watch party, I just want to reiterate what Christine shared and express a desire to have you utilize that chat function and just make you aware we don't know you're here uh, unless you actually kind of chime in and, and say your name and, and maybe where you're tuning in from and uh, uh, maybe you know just kind of say hi to one another, the church. I would love to see uh, you guys even though you know it's a virtual format. it's not uh, what we're used to. Uh, hopefully there still can be some encouragement uh, with the sense that we're gathering uh, as the saints on this uh, amazing day uh, worthy of, of great celebration. So uh, with that, uh, I'm gonna get us right in. So this morning, uh, really, ever since the coronavirus uh, has, um, you know, been an issue in our nation and in our world, and ever since we've kind of been on this shelter-in-place uh, sort of thing, it's. Uh, it occurred to me that I may want to step out of our regular series that we were doing in the Gospel of Luke and talk about something perhaps a little bit more. Uh, relevant to the matters at hand. And so what we've been doing uh, is a series uh, through uh, looking at what in the scriptures is actually the most frequent command. It's the most frequent command in all the Bible. And for those of you who are maybe just kind of checking in today for the first time, I wonder what you think that uh, that command might be. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's not one of the Ten Commandments. It's not... Uh, the, the first and greatest commandment. Uh, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And the second one, it's not the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's not the great commission, go to, you know all the world and, and make disciples. It's none of those, while those may be in fact in some ways more important, they're not the most frequent. The most frequent command in all the Bible is actually this, do not Be afraid. Whatever else this fact implies, it certainly at least implies this. God cares about your fear. He cares about your panic, about your anxiety. Or perhaps to put it more positively, He cares about your peace. He cares about your peace. So this morning, As we've kind of been doing throughout this series, we're gonna drop into yet another text in the scriptures where this command surfaces. Uh, we've been kind of dropping into a text here, a text here, a text there, kind of looking at where God issues this command, what's going on in it. This morning, we're going to drop into yet another one. And actually, this time, what we're going to see is how the resurrection, how the Easter reality of Jesus risen from the dead relates to this command do not be afraid. That's why the title of this message, if you noticed, is Do Not Be Afraid, He is Risen. You can turn to John fourteen twenty seven and the first part of verse twenty eight. We're going to read that. That's going to be our, in essence, our text for the morning. At least our starting point. Uh, but before I get you there, let me at least give you a quick background. Uh, Jesus is now just hours away from his betrayal, his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. He is already um, kind of sitting around. He's already kind of enjoyed the Last Supper with his disciples. He's already taken up the towel and washed his disciples' feet. He's already sent Judas off to do what Satan put in his heart to do. His hour has come. And it's, at this point, over for him, right? The shadow of death is is getting heavy upon our Savior's shoulders. And here's what's so amazing about John 14, 27, 28. (laughs) Even in the midst of these personal trials, even in the midst of what he is facing himself, he is still, as it's just uh, so like our Savior to do, he is still concerned, almost it would seem, solely with, his disciples, what they're feeling, what they're going through, how, how their peace, their anxiety, their fears are. It's amazing that in the midst of all of this, what Jesus would be worried about, what Jesus would be concerned with is you and I. How are they doing? How's your peace? So let me read this text, I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. John 14, verse 27, 28. Jesus says this to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. Would you pray with me? Uh, God, right now, we together just ask that you would come in these moments and bring your peace. We believe we are celebrating today. You are risen, which means you're not in the grave. You're not just a figure of history who's now uh, past and gone, but you are alive and you are present right here with us. Wherever we're tuning in from, You're in the room with us and even more than that, you are in our hearts. Jesus, we ask that by your spirit, you would come and bring peace. You would come and replace anxiety and panic with the peace of God, a peace unlike what the world could ever offer, a peace stable and secure, a peace tethered to the death and resurrection life of our Savior. And God, for those that may be uh, just coming to Easter service because it's what they've always done, not expecting much from it, uh, just kind of keeping with tradition. Um, I'm so grateful that you've brought them to this place. Grateful that they're tuning in. And Lord, I pray today you would show them just how relevant what you accomplished some 2,000 years ago is for them in this moment, right now, today. I pray you'd speak. I pray you'd move. I pray you'd use me, use your word to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, this is a wild time, is it not? Um, I've never uh, had to kind of do an Easter service, never been a part of an Easter service like this, uh, where everything is remote and where in reality, probably all across our nation, most churches at least are, empty and doing something similar. The pandemic that we are facing, this coronavirus thing, is, uh, is really shaking things up quite a bit. And here's one of the profound effects, one of the profound implications of this uh, that we've kind of noticed. Uh, usually, Usually, when the world is kind of as it has been uh, prior, when as the world kind of is normally going on, usually the case with trials and stuff is people are kind of coming in and out of them. Some people are going into a trial and really struggling, but others are kind of just coming out of one and having fresh hope and and life and and excitement. Um, Usually what happens is people in various places, various times, uh, uh, in various ways are experiencing different uh, places along the spectrum, whether some are, are, are steeped in trial, some are uh, out of it and feeling, feeling high and mighty and feeling good. But right now, what the uh, coronavirus has done for us is it's essentially thrown all the world into a trial together. It's uh, essentially uh, taken what would usually just kind of be a personal or a localized thing and and really blown it out so that now we are all in this sort of uh, 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 place of of confusion, place of disruption Uh, together. We are facing uh, this not just at a personal, local, even national level, but at a global level. There is unrest and One of the things that I realized then coming out of this is that I I know, I can almost guarantee that every single one of us, in one way or another, in light of these things, is is experiencing probably a higher level of anxiety, higher level of panic, and, and, and more than ever, probably desiring some sense of peace, longing for, looking for peace. And so I want to actually begin this message with a a question. Um, I want you to consider it. This isn't just rhetorical. I want you to think about what your answer would be. And uh, what I want you to do is fill in the blank here for me, all right? Here it is. If I just had blank, I would have peace. If I could just get blank, figured out, then my life would be working as it should and I could have peace. I wonder what you would say. How would you fill in the blank? What is missing that you so desperately want to get? What is broken that you so desperately feel like you need to fix and then you can have peace? Now, as you're considering your answer to this, my sense would be that you're not gonna have to think very hard um, usually, uh, as, it, as it turns out with these sorts of things, uh, it's going to be the stuff that you're already thinking about. <laughs> you're probably already, even as I'm talking, struggling to focus because you're distracted with it. You're, you're, your mind is spinning off towards it. You're, you're worrying about it. You're already kind of planning and thinking and, w- and, and trying to work out something. For, how can I get this or how can I fix this? Because we're all longing for peace. But still, all I'm asking you to do is name it. What is it? Now, if I had to guess, um, my sense is that whatever your answer may be, it will likely fit within one of these five categories that if they don't make sense to you up front, hopefully they will as we go on. But one of these five categories probably captures uh, what it is that you're longing for, the way that you kind of fill in that blank. It might have something to do with the relational, the financial, the vocational, the moral, or the physical. In other words, we're often worried about our relationships. We're, we're often worried about our money. Uh, a lot of times we're stressed out about our jobs and, and the purpose uh, for our lives. Uh, sometimes we're struggling with uh, guilty consciences. And then definitely right now, I think a lot of us are experiencing that struggle with what, what I mean by the physical is, is our health and an illness, and and a broken body, and facing death. So my guess is that whatever it is you are worried about, whatever you're thinking, man, if I could just get this right, I'd have peace, it probably fits into one of those five general categories. And here's what's so incredible. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, actually addresses all of these uh, uh, basic categories and more, and uh, in fact, let me kind of show you this for a moment, and I'm gonna actually spend really the majority of this sermon building this out, but let me get us started this way. Uh, The verses that I read in in John 14, 27, 28, that I'm just gonna use as a launch pad, present us with uh, really the first and most basic statement on the matter, that Jesus can speak into this. Uh, So what did we see there? We see uh, that he is clearly, Um, the one who has come to bring us peace and that this peace is uh, not like that which the world gives and we also see that this peace is in some way tethered to his death and resurrection that's what is meant uh, by what he says when he goes I am going away that's his death And he says, but I will come to you. Most scholars understand that to be uh, a reference to his resurrection, probably both his uh, physical appearances and also the way he came to them in the Holy Spirit. So we get this idea, uh, even from our text, that uh, Jesus has something to say about what we are all longing for in these moments, namely peace, that Jesus is going to press in, and he has something to say, something to give. But... um, This basic statement that is brought out in those uh, verses there actually um, really are worked out in the larger context of John 14 as a whole. Uh, So what we see is that it's there in the larger context of this chapter, John 14, that that, that we're going to see how this piece uh, tethered as it is to the death and resurrection of Jesus, is actually going to kind of push into and permeate those five broad categories I mentioned earlier in profound ways. It's pretty awesome. So we've got the basic statement in uh, those two verses I read, and then in the rest of the chapter, it kind of plays out. We're going to see how uh, Jesus actually, uh, through his death and resurrection, brings peace into all these different areas and domains of our lives. So this morning, all I want to do really is quickly move through each of those five categories one at a time and show you how from the larger context of John 14, Jesus actually meets us in them and brings peace to us right where we are in the midst of those things. So first, let's begin with the relational. The relational. Uh, Some of you, when I asked you to fill in the blank. Um, if I could just have this, then I would have peace. Probably immediately started thinking about your relationships. You probably started thinking about various relationships and things that you have going on. So maybe there are um, people that you so desperately, you want their approval, you want their acceptance. Could be a parent, could be a boss, could be a peer, and you're thinking, man, until I get that, if I could just get that, then I would have peace. Or maybe some of you are in a relationship with a significant other, or spouse, and frankly, it is just a nightmare. It is just like a bad dream that won't end. And, and you're thinking, my goodness, until this, if ever this relationship could get right, until that happens, there's no way. Peace is just peace is just like something way off in the distance. There's no way I will be able to be at peace until we get this relationship figured out. I, I, I cry myself to sleep, night after night, out on the couch. There's no peace until this is worked out. Maybe others of us perhaps actually just want a relationship desperately. Maybe you hear me talk about uh, spouses fighting, and you say, gosh, I sure wish I could even just have a spouse to fight with. I'm alone, and I've been alone for so long now. And I start wondering, what is wrong with me? Why doesn't anyone want to be with me? Is this just how it's going to go? And so you think, man, if I could just get that relationship, that person, that I could connect with and be with, well, then I'd have peace. So my guess is that this is probably some of the ways we've we, we, we filled in that blank, is with some of these relational things. And what we find, too, I think, is that in this pandemic, with the shelter in place and all this, it, it's actually made uh, our, our, our struggles worse, Right? And so if you're struggling with a spouse and that relationship is hard, well, now you're you know in close quarters, day in, day out, no break. Uh, for some of us, maybe that's a good thing and it's forced us to work through some of our issues and we're seeing greater unity on the other side of it. But for a lot of us, uh, maybe what you experience is actually what, what was just kind of a little bit of friction before is now full-on like fracturing. It's now full-on fracturing. This is why I actually... One of the statistics that's coming out, um, in I just saw this run, and I think it was the, the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, they're noticing how um, because of the shelter-in-place stuff, there's more domestic abuse stuff going on. Because uh, where they were able to kind of maybe separate and get away from one another, now they're stuck. And things are exploding. It's making it worse. And obviously if you were alone before, my goodness, sheltering in place alone, how much more isolated and alone do you feel now? So it's just aggravating all of this, which is why I bet this is probably some of the stuff that was at the front of your mind when I asked the question. Now, what does Easter, what does Jesus' death and resurrection have to do with that? Well, in a word, Everything, everything. So Jesus says, now you can, we're gonna start again, we're gonna start drawing in from the context of John 14 and watching how his death and resurrection and this peace he's come to give works out in all these different uh, domains and through all these different categories. So look at John 14, verses 18 and following. I'm gonna skip around a little bit, but we're gonna be right there. John 14, verse 18, Jesus says this to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. If anyone loves me, this is verse 23 now, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. I wonder if you heard it. I want you to hear it the intimate, the nurturing, the satisfying relationship that Jesus wants to have with you. It's right there on the surface of this text. Anyone can see it. He is coming near. His death and resurrection, he's not leaving us. He's doing those things so he can get closer than he's ever been. Now, really what he's referring to in this um in these verses here is this idea that after his death and resurrection, not only is Jesus going to come kind of momentarily back to his disciples uh, in physical form, in bodily form, uh, but he's also going to come by way of the Holy Spirit, that he's going to send his spirit down. And, and this is the spirit that Paul refers to in Romans 8.15 as the spirit of adoption, And what we understand is that because of what Jesus has done, he's not just heading off to heaven and leaving us here high and dry. He's heading off to heaven and ascending to the right hand of the Father, whereby he's going to pour out his spirit, the spirit of adoption, so that you and I are not left as orphans, not left to fend for ourselves, not left alone, but actually brought into, in a fuller, more satisfying way, the family of God. And he even says it. It's amazing. He's going to make, he and the Father, by way of the Spirit, are going to make their home in us. So there's this relationship now that we can have with God, this deep, Uh, abiding relationship that we can have with God. We've been reconciled to the Father, through the Son, by way of the Spirit. And now what this means is because of this reconciled relationship in the vertical dimension, this, this relationship we have with God, now that changes everything about the relationships that we have with others on the horizontal scale. So to be clear, this doesn't fix everything, right? Knowing God and, and being in his family and having fellowship with the Father, Son, Spirit is amazing, but it doesn't just all of a sudden make all our earthly relationship woes work out, right? But what it does do is it gives us the strength, the stamina, the, the, the ability, the resources to endure it. So if you're struggling with a spouse or significant other, Instead of going eye for eye, tooth for tooth, suddenly because you, you have one who loves you, one who accepts you, even when there's someone who doesn't, even when there's friction, you have the ability to absorb that, to talk to your Heavenly Father about that, to find strength in the middle of that so that you can even, as Jesus calls us to do, bless your enemies or if you're struggling with singleness or feeling alone and wanting that significant other sort of thing, well, yes, Jesus might not fix that for you, right? But all of a sudden, you know without a doubt, I am not alone, he's not left me as an orphan and I'm certainly not unloved. He poured himself out to death in love for me and he's coming back again for me whom he also calls his bride. So there's all these pictures of intimacy and we get to engage in that with him. Now, this is really the sort of thing that we see actually gives Jesus himself strength as he's en route to the cross. John 16, 32. Listen to our Savior speak here. He says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. All my earthly relationships, gone. They're all just going to scatter. I will be alone. What will sustain him in those moments? Well, he goes on. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I cut this relationship with my Father, the same relationship that now you and I have by way of the spirit of adoption. He says, I'm not alone, even when all forsake me. This is why Paul the Apostle would talk about a very similar experience. Um, 2 Timothy 4, 16-17. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but hear this. Everyone left me, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. That's it. That's what's available to, to, to Jesus, available to Paul, available to you and I. This relationship with the Father, relationship with God, so that even if our earthly relationships are just a mess, there's stability, that there's intimacy, there's love and care. We know the one who is watching over all is watching over us as a dad for our good. That changes everything. All of a sudden, where there was anxiety and a mess, there's peace. Peace in our hearts, the peace of Christ, the peace of God. All right, now let's keep rolling on. Let's check out that second category that I mentioned, namely the financial. So we've looked at the relational, how Jesus' peace kind of was brought into there, now the financial. Uh, some of you, no doubt, would think of money as critical to your security and your peace. And when I asked you to fill in the blank, that's probably the first thing that came to your mind, especially, again, in light of uh, the current pandemic that we're facing, not just locally, but globally. The economy is sliding, right? And it's stressful and salaries are being cut, investments are tanking, jobs are are being furloughed or even terminated. It's been devastating. And so naturally, a lot of us are probably spinning around going, man, if I could just get this money thing figured out, then I could have peace. But until then, until the economy kind of stabilizes, I'm going to be in a place of unrest. There's just no way around it. There's just no way around it. We take confidence in our wealth. It makes us feel stable. And of course, we're not just talking about money or, or you know, paper, we're talking about what money stands for, right? Which is our barns are full of the stuff we need to survive and thrive. And when I say barns are full, hopefully that makes you think of a parable that uh, is in Luke's gospel because I wanted to think about that for a moment. It's exactly what th- we see this guy doing. It's kind of the mentality that we have. Luke 12, there's this parable Jesus says about this. tells about this guy who's got all these crops and he just builds bigger barns and then he just stuffs his barns full. And then when he's done with that, when he's got it all filled to the brim, he sits back and this is what he says. He says, soul. Talking to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. (laughs) In other words, okay, I got all my stuff. I got my finances, my material wealth in order. Now, peace. And you just see him kicking back on his lawn chair, shades of a margarita in his hand. He's got what he thinks he needed for And there's a lot of us like that. There's a lot of us that feel that way. And again, especially now with this coronavirus thing, it's brought that out. It's aggravated this sort of impulse in us, I think which is why we're kind of watching, and we've talked about this, but we're watching all this kind of impulse in us to, to stockpile and to hoard and to fill our barns, in other words, to make sure we're safe. And if I'm honest, man, i felt this. I think I'm good until I I, I I pull up, I try to go on like a Costco run. So I went on a Costco run, and I, made it, I was figuring, feeling brave enough to head into the store, got my little mask on and did my thing, and as I'm pulling in, to, um, I I mean, I was one of the first guys there. I mean, the the store was just opening. But even then, as I'm pulling in and I'm seeing kind of the rush and the panic and I'm seeing, you know, oh my goodness, that guy just came out with a cart and he's got some toilet paper or they've got some eggs or some of the things that are on my list and I hope they're not taking it all. I started to feel, I came in feeling good and and as I started to see this stuff, my blood pressure just started to rise. I felt that sort of fight or flight thing and I'm like, man, I, I gotta get in there now. I gotta get in there now. And so I I go and I'm in, and and when I'm in there, you know, thank goodness they had a few of the key items that I needed or whatever. But even in that place, I was watching stuff go down that you're just like, no way. So there are signs, you know, all over Costco for some of the more coveted items that say, hey, listen, you can only take one. And um, one of those items was eggs. I don't know why everyone's doing eggs. I I don't think it's just because it's Easter and they're all dying and stuff. I I don't know what it is. but one of the, the coveted items was eggs, and you're only supposed to take one, and I, I come into the store, and I go in to grab some eggs. Thankfully, there were some for me as well then, um, but this one lady, she's got she's grabbing, and she's grabbing, and she's grabbing, and she's probably got her cart full. I mean, we're talking about like 20 Costco-sized cartons of eggs. We're talking about Tons of eggs, a year's worth of eggs, right? And as she's going, trying to get away with it, she gets caught. One of the Costco guys is starting to reprimand her, telling her, listen, now you have to put it back, and now you've touched all these cartons that are going to go home with other people. And just, you've got this environment like, wow, I'm in the Hunger Games right now. Like it is every man and woman for him or herself. We're on it. You just start to throw elbows. You kind of feel that fight or flight thing, and I'm a fighter if you can't tell. So it's like, all right, I'm gonna do what I gotta do to fend for myself and my family. Even if that means I gotta throw people under the bus, I'm gonna get stuff in my barns, in other words. And we're seeing this go on, right, all around us. But again, Easter and Jesus' death and resurrection come in to help profoundly at this point. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples now in John 14, Verses one through three. So here he's gonna speak to this worry that we have for material security and stability. Look what he says. Let not your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Now, he's talking here uh, in particular, it seems to me, about the new heavens and the new earth. He's talking about the ultimate destination of the children of God. He's talking about what he has secured for us by way of his death and resurrection, namely an eternal inheritance or a place around the table, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It's amazing, it's incredible. And obviously there's a lot you could draw out from these words from our Savior, but at least uh, whatever else uh, is implied in these words, certainly we could say part of the idea has to be that we are secure and stable, even materially or financially. Um, some of us right now are worried perhaps, especially in the Bay Area, Uh, about uh, losing our jobs or getting cuts in our salary because, man, uh, we're going to lose our houses. We're going to not be able to pay rent, not be able to pay our mortgage or whatever it may be. And to them, Jesus says these words, do not let your heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms and one of them has your name on it. One of them has your name on it. So what he's touching on here And what we need to see is that we often try to establish our security, our stability here and now through material means, by filling our barns. But it always, it inevitably lets us down. And even when we have it, we feel something of the precarious nature of it so that the peace that we're given by our stuff still feels kind of paper thin. right? We realize, as Jesus would say in other places, that moth can come in and, and corrupt, uh, or, um, can uh, destroy this, and rust can come in and corrupt it, thieves can come in and steal, it's, it's vulnerable, and if my peace is tethered to my stuff, my peace is vulnerable, and so the man with the bigger barns, I mean, that's the punchline of the story, he filled his barns and said, now I can have peace, and Jesus says, fool, or I guess in the parable, it's God who comes and says, fool, what have you done? You wasted all your time building up the stability, and now your soul is required of you this night. It's time for you to die, and, and who, whose stuff is this gonna be? It's not yours, it's not coming with you. It's no foundation to build your eternity upon. It's gonna fall away beneath your feet in the end. And then who's rich and who's poor? Then who's at peace? won't be the man with the biggest barns. It'll be the man who knows Jesus Christ. It'll be the man who has relationship with him, who knows that man, in his father's house, there are many rooms and one of them has my name on it. Now this is why, so we can kind of live in the midst of instability, financially, materially. We can live at peace. Uh, because we know Christ in this way, and we know what He's preparing for us, so we read about in the book of Hebrews. the The author tells us that Abraham, right? He he had no problem spending his days uh, living in in mere tents in, in a foreign land. He didn't own nothing, didn't have anything, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't you know build on his land and that sort of thing. He was just an exile, a sojourner, but here's what we're told uh, enabled him to do that. Hebrews 11.10, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. In other words, he knew he had a place in the world to come later, Hebrews 12, 28, we're told that in Jesus, we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And what that means is that even when all around is shaking, our stability, our inheritance, uh, our, our material security, if you will, is, 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 is stable. Because it's tethered not to our barns or our bank accounts, doesn't rise and fall with the stock market, It it, it rises with Jesus, tethered to him who will never die again. So we have peace even in the midst of unstable times because of Christ. We know we're going to be taken care of in the end. The third category, um, and obviously I'll start trying to move a little quicker here. The third category is this idea of the vocational. The vocational. So we've seen the relational, we've seen the financial, now the vocational, and by this I simply mean I I think sometimes we tie our peace and even our sense of identity, uh, for that matter, to our work. We think if I find the right job, the right vocation, I'll have found my purpose. Uh, I'll have a sense of well-being, and with that a sense of fulfillment and peace. So I imagine um, that some of us would fill in the blank I I, I asked us to fill in earlier by saying, listen, if I could just get the right job, like I hate my job, or I don't have a job, if I could just get that, then, then I'd feel like my life was worth something. I, I just want a job that is, is is worth something. I want a job that's essential. And I, I choose my words advisedly there, right? Because... Again, the coronavirus pandemic has brought this out, aggravated this perhaps a little bit more in our hearts where, uh, you know, they're, they're deeming certain jobs essential and others not. And that might sting a little bit for those of us who've just invested everything in our work. Like, that's my life. And you're telling me it's not essential. It's not important enough. And you kind of feel like, gosh, what is all of my time and energy worth? What am I worth. And then it gets even worse, right, when your boss calls and says, hey, listen, we had to uh, lay some people off, and we just didn't consider you a part of the essential core. We had to make some cuts, and you're on that list. I'm sorry. Guys, it just gets even worse. And what can happen is, is we don't just feel like we've lost our livelihood. We feel like we've lost our lives. Like, this is what I poured everything into, and it's gone. How can I have peace when I don't even know what I'm living for. Who am I? So one of the other things that they're watching now carefully, uh, given the uh, pandemic, uh, COVID-19 and stuff, is they're watching the the risk of suicide, in particular because statistics have shown when unemployment goes up and things, the people that are facing that, and we would assume this, it makes sense, uh, are much higher at risk for suicidal thoughts and things because they start feeling like, what's the point of my life? What is going on? Why am I here? How am I going to get through this? And um, they're projecting that some 800,000 jobs are going to be uh, lost in the Bay Area alone by next month, which means there are potentially 800,000 people We're gonna sit down on the couch, go home, and just say, why am I here? What am I doing? What's the point of my life? Now again, Easter, and the death and resurrection of Jesus speaks profoundly into this as well. So John 14, 12 now, we read Jesus uh, says this to his disciples, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Now, I don't suppose immediately you see the connection, so let me just kinda cut to it and and show you uh, what Jesus is saying here and how it relates. What Jesus is talking about is uh, how he's gonna head to the cross, He's gonna rise again from the dead. He's gonna to ascend to the Father. Then He's gonna pour out His Spirit. And when He pours out His Spirit upon His people, what He's going to do there is actually catch us up into a mission and a reason for being, a, 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 a purpose so much bigger than ourselves. We're gonna be a part of the movement of God. We're gonna be a part of the advance of the kingdom of God and the spread of the gospel in the world. So this is the church really at Pentecost. Jesus says, you know, go back to Jerusalem and wait. The spirit is coming and when he comes, you're gonna take the good news of the gospel. You're gonna advance the kingdom. You're gonna go from Jerusalem through Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And here's what's crazy. So here's why maybe Jesus is saying, you're gonna do even greater works than I did while I was here. Jesus spent the majority of his earthly life, he spent the lion's share of his ministry, he spent pretty much all all of his time and energy, blood, sweat, tears, on a small little plot of land in the Middle East. Within a few years after his resurrection, the outpouring of his spirit, the church will have expanded well beyond that. (laughs) just exploded and gone, and the kingdom is going. And here's the thing I want you to hear. Your job, you have a role in that. There is a vocation. There is a calling. He is including us in this mission, which means, man, you are a part of something essential, something so big. God is including you He wants to include you in in his plan to renew and redeem and and, and regenerate even the cosmos. It's incredible, it's beyond what we can even conceive. And listen to me, this is a mission, a purpose, a reason for being that COVID-19 can't take away from you. You could lose your job, at the office, this job, you can't lose it because a pandemic strikes. If, if anything, if anything, your calling to be a, a, a disciple of Jesus, a missionary for Jesus, an ambassador for God, it actually is just enhanced in moments like these. So I've seen it all over the blogosphere. People just say, this is what the church was made for. Times like these, your job, if anything, gets more essential when the world around is suffering and languishing and wondering what is going on and where can we find peace. We have the answer, and it's not in your, found in your job, your nine to five. It's found in a relationship with this God who includes us in something so much more because of what Jesus has done. Consider one example I've seen circling around these last days. Charles Spurgeon back in 1866 when he was addressing pastors and Christians uh, amid an outbreak of cholera. He said this, now is the minister's time. Now is the time for all of you who love souls. Now in the midst of this stuff spreading around and people dying and, and pandemonium. Now is your time, he says you may see men more alarmed than they are already. And if they should be, mind that you avail yourself of the opportunity of doing them good. You have the balm of Gilead. When their wounds smart, pour it in. You know of him who died to save. Tell them of him. Lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them that God became man, that man might be lifted to God. Tell them of Calvary and its groans and cries and sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them that he is able to save to the uttermost all them that come unto God by him. Tell them that he is able to save even at the 11th hour and to say to the dying thief, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. I wonder if you see it. You see it, right? even if you lose your job because of COVID-19, you don't lose this job. In fact, one of the ways you fulfill this job is by the way you handle the losing of another job, right? When your boss goes, wow, what is keeping him up? That he would still bless, that he would still have peace, even in the midst of this unrest. Well, let me tell you about it. You see, you're a part of something so much bigger. Your job is so much more essential in Christ than you realize you have a reason for being, even if everything else has fallen apart. In fact, you have even more of a reason for being in those moments. And in that sense, then, even vocationally, we have peace. We have this strong sense that we're stable. We're here for a reason. God's with us, and he's going to use us. Let's move on now to the fourth category. So we come to this idea of the moral. The moral, we've seen the relational. We've seen the the financial, the vocational now, the moral. Um, What I'm referring to here is the fact that many of us probably feel a sense of unrest at times uh, because of guilty consciences, because of those basic ideas of of guilt and shame. Anyone feel weighed down lately with guilt and shame? (laughs) I mean, anyone kind of remembering stuff from the past that's just wish wasn't there wish they didn't do wish wasn't there wish they could pay back or atone for or make right or get better right you got some of those you just kind of get stuck in that sort of darkness where you're sitting under the weight of your own sin your own failures your own depravity and I imagine those of us who are in that place are feeling like, man, until I make that right, until I get that all together, I won't be able to have peace. I'll just be struggling in and out of depression for the rest of my days. But here, of course, is where Easter has choice words for us as well. The um, death and resurrection changes everything. So he says in John 14, 1, which we've actually read before, let not your hearts be troubled. And now I know I, I read that and you kind of say, I don't see how that connects to the guilty conscience and, 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 and the wrestling with, uh, within my heart with guilt and shame and other things. Well, uh, the clue is actually in the context. So if you kind of lift your eyes up from verse 1 there to the verses prior, what you see is is that Jesus has been in discussion already. And he's been in discussion with Peter in particular, and he's talking about Peter's upcoming denial. So in the verse immediately preceding verse 1, John 13, verse 38, we read this. Jesus answered Peter, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And then, without stuttering, he moves into uh, John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. And I saw that connection, and I just thought, that's it. That's amazing because if I'm Peter and you just told me that I am gonna deny you, that I am going to abandon you, the the moments that you need me most, I'm gonna be gone, saving my own skin, then what I am feeling, as you're telling me, is deeply troubled, deeply distressed. What kind of a wretched friend, wretched sinner am I? If I would do that, To you, if that's the truth, it's over for me. And here is where our Savior's words take on such profundity, right? Peter, even in spite of these things that I already know about, do not let your heart be troubled. You see, Jesus understands what Peter doesn't yet, namely, that he is going to take on himself. Peter's sin and he's going to suffer himself under the wrath of God, that the guilt and shame that properly belong to Peter are going to be placed upon our Savior's back and he will die for those things in Peter's place. And when he rises on the third day, what we realize is that there will be nothing left for Peter to be troubled about. That's why he can say it. Yes, you're gonna deny me. Yes, it's gonna be grievous. Yes, it's gonna be horrible. But no, it doesn't need to trouble you because it's gonna trouble me instead because I'm going to take it and I'm going to get victory over and I'm going to show back up and restore you and show you mercy and grace. And he does the same thing for you and I every day of our lives. Mercy of our God is new every morning. He comes to us with the same exchange your sin, my righteousness, nothing to be troubled about child of mine, forgiven and free. It's incredible. I, I, I know of no other way to truly effectively deal with the, the guilty conscience than this. Because here's what's so awesome, in the light of the cross, in the light of the Easter reality, we, we, can, we can both confess our sin and all of its horror. We, we don't have to deny it. We can own it and, and we can, we can uh, uh, recognize that it is horrible. And yet at the same time, we don't get stuck in a pit because of it because Jesus rose over top of it and he's leading us out of it and he loves us in the midst of it. We can both own it, look at it, uh, confess it and walk away from it, uh, have hope and even have peace because the blood of Jesus is the resurrection of our Savior. And now we move to the fifth and final and this one I Obviously, uh, didn't leave myself much time for, so we're just going to take it real quick. But it's the physical. It's the physical. Uh, with this one, I, I think in, in, in many ways, uh, this is perhaps the one that's most on our minds in the midst of this pandemic, talking about worrying about our health. Worrying about our bodies, worrying about getting sick, worrying about even facing death. You can't turn on the news without hearing about these realities now, being pr- uh, being pressed in upon with the realities of our own mortality. And it's hard, it gets us worried, and we may be prone to think, gosh, I will not be able to have peace until this whole pandemic has passed and we can return to life as normal. But even in the midst of this place, here is where Easter is perhaps the most eloquent Uh, of all. Perhaps the most relevant of all. Because what are we celebrating today but the fact that Jesus didn't just die for our sins, right? But he rose up from the grave. He, He didn't just conquer Satan and sin. He also conquered death itself. That's why we're celebrating. That's why we're worshiping. That's why we're here because he's gotten victory over the stuff that we may be worried about in the physical realm, that the fact that my body's breaking down, that I could be you know, in the high-risk group for the virus, that it could be me next, or whatever it may be. Our Savior has gotten victory over it, and here's the good news of the gospel. His victory is and will be ours. So he says to his disciples, this is the last verse we're gonna look at, He says to his disciples in John 14, verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, and hear this, because I live, you also will live. Let's just be clear. Jesus knows, we know from history, the disciples are gonna have gruesome, horrible endings. Physically, they're gonna die, and it's not gonna be pretty because of their following Jesus. They're gonna be persecuted. It's not gonna seem to our eyes like it's going well for them. Nevertheless, it's still true. Because I live, you also will live. Though they lop off your head, not a hair of your head will perish. I will raise you up incorruptible. And as I went, so will go you. And it will be true for all of us who are in Christ as well. So let me ask you to consider here at the close how you'd fill in that blank again. Let me, let me ask you. and, and I, The question was, if you just had blank, or if I just had blank, then I would have peace. What would it be if I just had blank? Let me propose an answer now. Let me propose one that by by now, I hope you can see encompasses all the others. If I just had Christ, then I could have peace. That's what Easter is all about. That's what the death and resurrection of our Savior is all about, bringing peace into yours and my life, not a peace like the world gives that comes and goes and ultimately lets down, but a peace that sustains, a peace that endures, a peace that uh, expands or presses on into eternity. And so I'd encourage you even now, lay hold of Jesus. Lay hold of him. Turn from whatever it was you're filling in the blank with, whatever it is you're thinking will fill and satisfy and bring you peace. Turn from that and come to Christ who encompasses it all and can give it in greater measure. And in final form, turn and, and lay hold of your Savior and his peace. Let me pray. God, right now, I thank you for the time that we've had. I thank you for my brothers and sisters tuning in, and I pray in some way you made good on your promise to bring your peace to your people. I pray that you would lead all of us to turn in fresh and fuller ways and lay hold of you. And I pray that as a result of that, God, we'd experience uh, more of your stability. We'd be able to, to, to bring your peace and the news of our risen Savior uh, to this city in world in desperate need of it. We love you, Lord. Send in your name I pray, amen. Well, with that, uh, I would just simply invite you now to uh, join me and others in the Zoom room that we're gonna be opening up here momentarily. So uh, please, if you gotta use the restroom, go ahead and do that, but if you wanna come in, I think what we'll probably be doing today is just engaging in prayer together, uh, uh, um, and uh, I'm not sure what else. we will just gonna see uh, who comes in and then we'll just uh, talk and pray. Uh, but I look forward to, to catching you guys soon. All right.